Podcast One. We are back with another episode of Listen Able. Uh, if you haven't checked out last week's episode, Adam Hills, I mean, do yourself a favour. Yeah, such a legend. We really appreciate him coming on and giving you time. But also, uh, it's cool the amount of people like, Adam Hills, didn't know he had a disability. Yeah. Uh, and also, um, it was great, you know, chatting about how he found his identity towards disability at mm-hmm. first. You know, said he wasn't disabled and then it's kind of changed over time and all the work that he's done in the in mainstream media, but also with his rugby league team. Mm-hmm. So if you did miss it, make sure you go back and check it out. And the best part about Listen, Abel, is all the episodes have a massive impact on on you, the people listening. Yeah, because we keep moving with the podcast. Like, I, we're editing in the future. We're a couple of episodes ahead. We've got video editing and stuff. We kind of forget that people are just discovering some of our past episodes. Uh, I'd like to shout out a girl called Holly Howe, who's an amazing florist online. Go check her out, Holly Howe Florals. She did a full story, like a, a minute on her Instagram story, talking about the episode of Steph Agnew. An alt text. This is what she learned from our episode. My newfound obsession is actually Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin's new podcast called Listenable, which I think the name says a lot, but it's pretty much a podcast exploring disabilities and how people go about their lives. And I just had a lady on and her name's Steph and um, Steph Agnew and she's blind and she explained how she interacts with Instagram and her socials. Where you write your caption a voice that sounds very much like Siri actually reads that for her, but she doesn't know what's happening in the picture. And there's something called alt text. And Holly, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for sharing that with your followers. And now we can share it with ours. Uh, The message is getting across and it's great to remember that, yeah, all these past episodes people are discovering as well are learning everything about this community. The, one of the coolest things is the amount of people getting in touch that want to come on and share their stories. And the person who's coming up in today's episode reached out to us wanting to share their story. Now, I have tried the sport that she plays, mm-hmm. and it is so hard. Like, it is so much harder than tennis. And before people jump on and go, oh, it's another Paralympian. No, 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 it's no, no. Not, no, no, no. This is just a, an everyday person who is doing something super cool, putting her body on the line Yep. in order to break down stereotypes and stigmas, and we're so excited. She's here with us today on The Enable. Hi everyone, I'm Eliza Green. I am 30 years old and I live in Brisbane. Um, I enjoy working out, waking up ridiculous hours and getting up at 4.30 and walking along the river and um, looking at the sunrise. Just your normal things. I like going for drinks with my friends, going to the movies, shopping, all of those kind of things. Regular stuff, but you do have a disability and what is that? Yes, I have cerebral palsy. So for people that don't know much about cerebral palsy, can you give us a bit of a background on, I guess, what it is, but also what level you have it and and how it came about? I have what they call a right side hemiplegia. So what that means is the cerebral palsy only affects the right side of my body. So my left side's completely normal. It's just the right side of my body. And now that is something that happens at birth. And there's various times when that can actually form, but what mine was from was losing oxygen when I was being born. So we didn't actually find out the exact reason behind it until I was six years old. And basically we had a CT scan, I think that's what you call it. Mm -hmm. And they had a scan of my brain and you could see that there's actually a part of the left side of my brain that's actually missing. So that is what 
tells my right side what to do, essentially. So that's the part that, you know, has all your fine motor skills. Um, I actually have two different size feet. So my left foot is three sizes larger than my right wow. foot. Wow. Stop so, yeah. there. Wow. Stop <laughs> there. Talk to me the process of when you go into Foot Locker mm. and you say, can I have yeah. one eight and one five? Do they tell you to get stuffed? Yeah, they go, oh, don't worry, love. Like, everyone has two different size feet. Like, it's normal. I'm like, no, no, no. I actually need to buy two different um, pairs of shoes. And they kind of look at you and they're like, oh, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And they get that little tape measure foot thing out. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, actually, yeah, well, mm. all right, we'll see what we've got in those sizes. It's a very expensive exercise, you could say that. You know what <laughs> we need to do on our Listenable podcast Facebook page is start a shoe swap because we've had um, Cherie yes. as well. She's she's only got one leg, so she doesn't need one ah. shoe. Do you know there was two guys on my um, wheelchair basketball team that we're lucky enough to win the Paralympic medals for? Shout out to Sean Russell and Tristan Knowles. They had the same size foot, and one of them is a left leg amputee, and one of them is a right leg amputee. Perfect. Oh, so they only did go- they have the same taste in shoes? Though? Yeah, they did. They were just like <laughs> uh, Jordans, Jordan, basically. Yeah, yeah. So they would go shopping together, and it was so <laughs> cute. Well, legends. Yeah. Great. Hey, um, it's, it's so interesting looking at you. You're in our Brisbane studios. We're in a Melbourne studio at the moment, but we can see you on screen. Yeah. Um, you're standing slash sitting now, but I saw you walk in. So yes. my example of somebody who's had CP up until this point has been Oliver Hunter who was a previous guest on Listenable, and he Mm -hmm. is in a wheelchair. Now, he can stand up with assistance and walk some small distances. But Mm -hmm. like you said, there's quite a range of how cerebral palsy can affect everybody. Yes, exactly. And um, for me, I guess it just was quite mild, and I don't know whether I don't completely understand the technical term around whether that means some people lose oxygen for longer. Mm. I mean, I do, and I don't know whether you noticed this as I was walking in, so I do definitely have a limp. Yeah. So my left leg is one and a half centimetres longer than my right leg. Mm-hmm. So when I'm exercising and if I've got closed-in shoes, I do have orthotics mm-hmm. so that they try as best as they can to correct that. More so because, as you can imagine, with the leg difference, you tend to get a lot of back pain. Mm. Um, just from, you know, constantly that lowering down. Do you have it more so in your hand and arm or in your leg? Or is it the um, same? Because I can see, obviously, for people who can't see, seeing this is an uh, audio medium. But we are on YouTube as well. Correct. You can check it on YouTube <laughs> uh, and on our socials, listenable underscore podcast. But um, it affects your, I can see it affects your hand and wrist as well. So yes. your hand is permanently in like a limp position. Is that how you best describe it? Yes. So what my mum said that I used to do is I constantly just held my right hand in a fist and mm. I never opened it out. Mm. And mum said, so when, yeah, when I was about six months old, what would happen was she would put, say, a toy in front of my right hand. And instinctively then I already knew I couldn't do it with my right hand. So I'd reach over with my left and pick up the toy. So you're God, you teach yourself young. Yeah, yeah so I know. I was works. fascinated by that, that, you know, at that age, you already know, oh, I have to find a workaround for this. And interesting that you're already clenching your fist. We'll get to the boxing uh, soon, which is mm-hmm. the video that I came across Ooh. your story with. What a segue. <laughs> um, are there brain function impairments? I mean, obviously, we talk, we've talked about the, the physical side of CP in your life. Is there some yeah, effects, intellectual yep. effects for sure? No, and that is the fascinating thing. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think this ranges from almost everybody 
in the CP realm that most of the time it doesn't actually affect the intellectual side of it. So Mm. it's just the muscular side. So the programming in your brain that tells your muscles what to do. So I guess you could say that mind-muscle connection is a bit missing there. But I'm actually an accountant. So I went to uni, did my CPA. I mean, it's not the most exciting career, but it's, yeah, you learn very quickly how to type with one hand, I think. So Ah, I've become a very speedy left-hand typer. So you don't use your right hand to type at all? No. Ah. Sometimes I just use it for like a cheeky enter, Okay, you know, make it feel useful. (laughs) But... Uh, Have you told yourself or taught your um, right side of your body, in particular your hand, to do some functions? Can it grab a bottle? Yes, and I think that has a lot to do with what I mentioned just before, that um, mind-muscle connection. Mm. And, of course, I can only speak for me, but it's something. So if I wanted to pick up this bottle, which this is glass, so it's a bit too heavy, but I would really have to not have any distractions, think about what I'm doing, and grab onto it and lift it up. Mm. But it's it's difficult because I can't turn my right hand over. So as if you were, you know, offering something and you would turn your hand over, which I can do fine with my left, but with the right, I don't have that function to turn the hand over. I get it. Do you trust so, your right hand? No, no. I trust it more than I used to, that's for sure. And it's definitely, it's a lot, and I think this goes for everyone in terms of exercise, but if you don't use it, you definitely lose it. And going back on what you said before about the um, intellectual effects of cerebral palsy, a disability that I think would be really tough is high level cerebral palsy. So Mm. Angus and anybody that isn't in the disability world, you know, when you see somebody on the street who's in an electric wheelchair, they can't talk. So they sound like they're almost moaning and they might have problems with their saliva coming out of their Mm -hmm. face. They have high level cerebral palsy and people talk to them really slowly. Yeah, we spoke about this earlier episode. So they're but actually, their brain is their working brain at full, is capacity. full capacity. So exactly. it's one of the misconceptions that would be really tough for those people because people would come and be like, hello, how are you? And they'd be thinking, yeah. get effed. Mm. Like my brain yeah, is exactly. can't say that. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. It's just missing that, I guess, neurological pattern that can express that. And that is the thing that, you know, when people are left to their own devices and they can find their own way of doing things, they can show how intelligent they are. But that's exactly right. You know, your first thought is to think, oh, I have to speak slower or do I have to alter my conversation in any way for them to be able to understand? And that's definitely not the case. Definitely not with you. You're bloody well spoken. (laughs) You are doing good. Although my sister told me today, she said, don't say like so much. And now I feel like I'm constantly thinking about it. We'll we'll edit that out because now (laughs) the listener will also talk. Yes, okay. Sorry, guys. And I can make a ding. (laughs) You set us us up now. Yeah, you can do that. I'm fine with that. Uh, Now, Eliza, when when do you introduce your disability into conversation and relationships? Yes. That is a difficult point for me. And I think that is something even at 30 years old, I still definitely struggle with. And it was interesting because I was having this conversation. I'm single, so I've been going on dates, things like that. I have had relationships in the past, but currently I am single. And I think it's interesting, and I hadn't necessarily thought about it this way, but my friend and I were talking. So at the end of last year, one of my best friends, she set me up on a blind date. So it was a friend of a friend. I hadn't met them. They hadn't met me. Didn't really know much about them. 
And anyway, he offered to pick me up from my apartment. And normally, obviously, if it was a Bumble date, I would say no because I don't want people knowing where I live yeah. off the bat. But, but you, you know, you got trust in your friend. Yeah, exactly. Friend of a friend, I thought, you know, he's kind of been vetted mm-hmm. in that way. So he was waiting for me outside my apartment. And I live in a high rise. So I got the lift down and, you know, I was wearing heels for my standards. So maybe five centimeters. They're still quite block heels. Mm-hmm. And... I was, as I was, I was obviously still quite nervous, you know, just gotten ready. It was a Tuesday night, was walking down. And I think sometimes it's interesting for me because as much as I do think about it every day, I also forget about it every day. Mm. It's my normal. So, you know, I'm walking out, saw him, was like, oh yeah, he's pretty cute, you know, was walking out and then straight away he's like, oh, are you okay? Did you hurt your leg? Mm. And... I think, I know that doesn't, to somebody else, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I think the point that my friend brought up was a lot of people start dating someone, right? And it might be something, it's not necessarily that they feel uncomfortable about, but they get to decide when they share that moment with that person, maybe three dates in, five Mm -hmm. dates in. But I think when something is visible to somebody, and he did nothing wrong, I was definitely not upset by him asking because it's human nature, right? If someone looks like they're hurt or in their in pain, you would almost feel worse if you didn't ask if they were okay. But I think with that is that is the point. You don't necessarily get to decide when you want to disclose that information to somebody. Have you had any potential partners react weirdly to your disability or um, I guess discriminate against it? I wouldn't say discriminate against. I've been quite lucky in that in probably the last 10 years, no one would ever, I don't think anyone would ever say anything to my face. But I think it goes back to, and I guess everybody has insecurities, right, when they're dating. But, you know, if I think we got along really well, but then the cerebral palsy conversation comes up, then if they don't call me back or they say they just want to be friends, mm. I think, oh, it's because I have cerebral palsy. And it could be, oh, because I'm yeah, not, I don't have blonde hair. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like happened. my jokes weren't funny enough. Yeah. I don't know. It's happened a lot to Angus when he starts growing a beard. Okay, yes. <laughs> I, uh, so he'll have a really strong relationship and then he'll grow his beard. I did grow an isolation beard and I'm surprised I am still with my partner after hey. the gingerness and silver hairs oh. came out in my beard. This could Quickly be the last podcast off. where it's, they're still on it. Yeah. Go on. Do you think your life would be different? And if so, uh, without CP? And if so, how? If you could have a crystal ball gaze at what your life would have been without cerebral palsy... Would you look into that ball? No. Okay. I Why would not? not. Why not? Because if you asked me this question five, ten years ago, I would have said 100%. Why were you in a different position five, ten years ago then? I always saw it for the negatives and how everything seemed harder or everything took so much longer. Mm. And looking at other people, you think, oh, it's easy. You know, being in relationships, oh, it's easy for you or... Even just, it's more the little things that I get jealous of. Like, it's not, oh, this person has heaps of money or they have a really nice partner. It's, oh, my God, you can just pick up that glass straight away with ease and not mm. think about it. Or you can go to the bar and get a round of drinks for your friends Do you know, I and not of, have I, to ask someone. I have one of them as well, Eliza. I'll add you mine. The only thing I get jealous about, how much of a pain in the ass it is for me to get petrol. Oh. Getting out of the car, getting your wheelchair out myself. Going in and getting petrol, yes. it's a 15-minute ordeal. Oh. And I watch you do it in three minutes, Angus. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Every time it annoys me. But Dylan can also <laughs> afford to fill up a full tank. I'm still just uh, trying to get by with my 10, 20 bucks at a time. I actually get free petrol. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a feeling. Unbelievable. 
Uh, well, that's fantastic. So yeah. the last five years, can you talk us through that growth within yourself a little bit more? Yeah, of course. So I was living in London. So I moved to London in 2015. I just had the um, two-year working visa. It ended up being that I did love it and I was lucky enough that my work sponsored me. So I ended up staying there for almost four years. And cerebral palsy wasn't something in terms of my friends, and I don't know whether you feel like this too, Dylan, is when you're around them, you don't, you forget, you know, you, they just love you for who you are. Your parents love you for who you are, all of that. But I think then moving to a different city or a different country for that matter, people, people don't know you. Mm. And I got really into, so I wasn't really, so in school, for example, I never wanted to do anything sport related. I'd get my mum to write me notes. Oh, Eliza can't compete in the cross country or she can't do sports day. And, oh, really? You know, yeah. Okay, like I would, I would milk it for all I could. Yeah, and, and we can go back to this, but I think school is a different ball game to your adult life in the way you feel comfortable with things. And did you get I bullied? Think, did you get bullied at school? Yeah, like and. It's funny because I was talking to my mum last night, you know, just to make sure I had a lot of the facts about how they found out and all of that, that I had that straight. And she said to me, she was like, oh, you were so lucky, Eliza. Like, you had such good friends. Like, she said that she remembered them when I would cut things. I would be really slow when I was really little. And they would, when they finished, they would then um, help me cut these things and stuff like that. And I don't remember any of that. Mm. And... All I remember is that in primary school, they used to call me Limp Biscuit. And I can laugh about that now. Limp, because she's got limp. Oh, Angus's okay. face is like, well, I don't get it. I used to get, whenever I used to push past people, go, keep rolling, rolling. I was going to say, you both have Limp Biscuit jokes. <laughs> we been, we there you good, go. We, we would have, yeah, exactly. And I had blue eyes and people used to say, behind blue eyes. <laughs> Just so I can feel Chocolate included. Starfish, hot dog, <laughs> flimmin' water, baby. I love this. <laughs> so school was a different ball game. So do you yeah. feel that was the move to start yes. again? Sorry. Was it a blank yes. slate? I was just at a point where I was like, okay, I'm 20, I think I was 25, I must have been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of my friends were settling down, doing all this. And it was funny, I never had ever thought about living overseas. And my housemate at the time, she had just done a short stint over in London. And she said, oh, why don't we just move to London? I'm like, why? She was like, well, you know, we're both accountants. Like, we can get good jobs. You know, we can get a decent apartment. It'll be fun. And I, was, I thought, okay. I've got nothing. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a partner. I'm like, if I'm not, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Exactly. Mm. And so we just packed up and we moved. And she had actually met somebody just before we had moved. So she ended up moving back to Australia after maybe four months. And at that point, I still didn't really like it and thought, okay. I just said to myself, right, Eliza, you, you give it six months and if you still hate it, you can go home. Like, there's no harm in that, mm-hmm. but at least give it six months. I think my pride was just a bit in the way there. So turned out that exercise is what saved me and for so many reasons and what kept me in London. So you didn't exercise much as a, as a kid, obviously, and then you no. found exercise. What, what was the first kind of exercise that you did that you realized that you could actually do it and you enjoyed it? Yeah, so I was just doing normal gym workouts, just, you know, circuits each day. And it was definitely hard at the start, I think, going into a gym, especially, and thinking about, oh, what does everyone think about me? And, you know, when I do this exercise or when I'm doing a Bulgarian squat, like, I need to, someone to hold my hand. You should see me I'm... do a Bulgarian squat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I get it. 
<laughs> yeah, but I've heard that gear for so long, Eliza. I'm glad it still works on some people. It does. It definitely. I liked it. I liked it. So for how sure. the hell do you hold a weight then? It depends on the size. So the biggest thing for me is that if the grip isn't easy, no matter even if it's a one kilo it still can be quite difficult. So I actually find kettlebells a lot easier than dumbbells right. because the arm, I guess, like the grip part is a lot thinner and I feel more secure holding that. Whereas a dumbbell, I, it's okay when you, you know, have the one one kilo, one and a half kilo, but once you're getting up larger, say even four kilo, I know that doesn't sound that heavy, but it is for me, yeah. it gets quite wide. So in order for me to hold it, I don't have that control to hold onto it and then to be able to say, lift that above my body. Yeah. And we talk about of, trust before. I mean, I, I, yeah. I sometimes when I'm trying to get to like a max range of my weights and I'm doing a, a chest press and I'm looking at that 40 kilo weight above my head, I'm like, God, I'm putting a lot of yeah. hope that I can lift this. Wait, did you say 14? I said 40. <laughs> I think it's more. I like might have been putting a bit of mayo on that. <laughs> a little bit of GST on this. Okay, okay, okay. But I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's so much. As much as it's physical, so much of it is mental. Mm. And if you think about that weight, that forty kilo weight yeah, above yeah, your too, head, yeah. I know. What yeah, you know, you if you all of a sudden freak out and think I'm going to drop it, I'm going to drop it. You'll probably drop it. Mm, so true. There's a joke that exists, and Dylan loves to live by this by uh, skipping leg day, right? Do you do you skip right hand side body day? <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, like, I mean, you guys can see me on video. I, I mean, still... you're definitely in proportion. I'm. Yeah. Don't get that wrong, but would it be? Do you have to find you doing twice the work? Yeah. Yes. The amount of time spent on your right, not necessarily the same weights, if that makes sense. Yes. So, for me, I guess I just do what feels right. Like I could never, or I shouldn't say I could never, but I just try to do things a lot slower. So mm -hmm. because of the way this, the way I hold my arm when I walk, right, the shoulder kind of goes inwards. Yeah, so I have the, like, it's a rotator cuff issue. Mm -hmm. Go do left to back. Um, is that what you have to do? <laughs> back to open, that's it, to open it up. Yeah. yeah I have to do the All same right. thing because I always push my wheelchair forwards, not backwards. So uh, I'm constantly. Oh, your shoulders are rolled forwards. So even yeah. when I hit a forehand, backhand, rolling forehand, short, uh, shoulders forward. So I have to do a lot of back to balance it out. Interesting. There you go. There you go. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then from the gym is where we found you, which is some videos online. <laughs> yes. You thought, I'll tell you what I don't need to, to box. I don't need a right hand. I'm just going to yeah. become a boxer. Like, Seems like you're losing half your weaponry. Seriously. <laughs> and half your defense. Yeah. Yeah. More, more yeah. Importantly. So, Talk us through the process of when you decided you wanted to try it and how did you yeah. feel that first time you had the gloves on? Yeah. So I was in London. I went to this gym called One Rebel and they their classes were, it was great because it was perfect for anybody who feels self-conscious or doesn't want to be in a group class. So it's basically like a nightclub. The room's very dark. There's about 40 boxing bags in there and then the instructor's in the middle. So you feel quite comfortable, no one's really looking at you and it's so incredibly hard that you don't even have time to look at the person next to you. And I remember the first time I did the class and I always try to, again, it's not something I always feel comfortable, but I think it's important to go up to the instructor beforehand and just explain, okay, look, I've got my cerebral palsy, this is what happens. Just so one, so I don't feel embarrassed if they try to call me out in the class or trying to explain that halfway through an exercise class. So... I just go up to them beforehand, explain the situation, and then we do the class. And it was just, this is going to sound really cheesy, but boxing to me is like meditation because 
you have to be so incredibly focused. I just absolutely not. I, it's so oh, it's so hard. <laughs> that is, I love it that you said that. But yeah. As soon as you said that, I, my body cringed. When I box, I like vomit, sweat. Do you box? Yeah, yeah I box, you box. I box, and it is easily the hardest of the workouts I do. Oh, a hundred percent. Meditation, but to don't me is you chill. think that you don't have time to think about anything else? So I think that's what I'm getting. It's definitely not relaxing like meditation. Oh, but you but can switch your brain off in that. You moment. know, you can't think. Oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Gotcha. Or did I turn the hair straightener off? Like you don't, you don't have time to think about mm-hmm. that. So I think for that, there was just something in that that I was like, this is so different to what I've done before. And going back to your point on the weights, because I do find it hard depending on different classes and what their weights are like, to lift a lot of weight. So I really enjoyed boxing because it you get that resistance training, but you're using gloves and you're using your own body weight. But what happens yeah. when they change onto the next round, the the alarm goes off, it goes ding, right and hooks. all of a sudden it's right hooks for 30 seconds. What do you do for right hooks? Yeah, I do them. Right, I, okay. Yeah. And with a lot of the time there is a lot of pain, but I just keep doing them. So, and I think that, has got to do with exactly what we were just talking about with the right shoulder turning inwards. So I just do that. But the thing is that a lot of people probably don't realise is a lot of it comes from your legs to an extent or, you know, that twist that you get in your body. So even though my right leg isn't as strong as my left leg, you can still kind of, I guess I, you know, this sound weird, but just kind of like throw my whole body into the shot mm-hmm, mm-hmm. rather than just using the hand. I get it. Punching the bags is one thing. <laughs> Having yes. someone opposite you punching you back is another. Yeah. So I've boxed and when I say box, I punch people holding Pads. mitts. Pads yep. and that's you know and then what I do is I drop my hands when I'm getting tired and um, yes. Jimmy my boxing trainer would he slaps me in the face whacks you over the head as yeah. I'm about to vomit mm. like yep. I I can't I actually comprehend how hard it would be having someone punch you back let alone when you can not hold your right hand up very well and protect yeah. your face so you made the decision to do an actual fight yes I did two actually two fights mm. why Tell yeah what was going through <laughs> the brain then? I don't know well okay so and we should also point out. Against able-bodied opponents. Oh, sorry, yeah. Yes. Yes, so yes. people who are able-bodied. So you decided to fight able-bodied opponents. Yes, I didn't want, not because I was embarrassed or anything like that. I just didn't want it to be a thing. I didn't want to be given special treatment by the judges or anything like that. I just wanted to see, I guess, for my own personal reasons, whether I could win a fight without essentially anybody knowing that I had the cerebral palsy. So your opponent had no idea they were up against someone no. with CP. <laughs> no. That's, that's so loose. That's loose. Hey, I, <laughs> I need to walking, see yeah. You're walking in the ring. Are you just throwing lefty haymakers? Is oh, that your game plan? Yes. Yeah. So our, so I was lucky enough. So my trainer in London, he was actually an ex-world champion middleweight boxer. Helps. He owned the gym. And yeah, that definitely helped. So I definitely had the right team in my corner. And um, one of the key rules of boxing for people who haven't done it is to keep your hands up because you're yes. def- trying to defend yourself at all times. Um, so did that, I mean, obviously you've talked about grabbing a glass being such a huge process. Yeah. What was the mental side of things to remind yourself while getting punched at to <laughs> hold that right up to protect the right-hand side of your face? Logically, if you think about it, like you just said, my right hand, it was kind of like a distraction, I yeah. guess, okay. in that, you know, Darren had said to me, and I loved how he said this, not that I have an issue with it being called a disability, but he just kept saying, we need to take away your disadvantage. And that's what we thought of it as that, you know, if I stand back, also she was about 
I'm five foot two when she would have been six foot one, maybe. The reach Does advantage she, on it. And, yeah. And hasn't got CP. No. <laughs> you can't let your opponent know that you've got CP. Otherwise, no. they're just training for left hand protection. It's, yeah. Well, you know what? I don't think they're fighting you. The, yeah. The example is when I played tennis. Yeah. When I was 14 at school, I'd play everybody kids and I'd smash them because they felt bad. So they'd hit the ball yeah. really soft. So if the other person knew that you had cerebral palsy, do you reckon they'd hit you back hard? I'm not sure. No. I think it's the same when you try to spar with guys. They don't want to hit you yeah. either. Uh, right. You know, it's the exact same thing. Until you smack them on the chin. <laughs> so you won the fight. So how many rounds was it? Like what, what was the setup? Yes. Yeah, so you're wearing headgear. Mm-hmm. You have a mouth guard, all of that, but... Let me tell you, it still definitely hurts yeah. when you get hit, even with headgear on. So the white collar fight was three two-minute rounds. And it's interesting because when you say that to people, and Dylan, you'll understand this from, you know, doing boxing, that they're like, oh, three two minutes. Is that it? No, oh, that's a lot. Especially for the way that I had to fight. So I basically could not step away because the moment I gave her the range, it was all over for me. Mm. So it was, I guess you could call it a bit of a scrap in the way that I just had to constantly essentially just stay close to her and just keep like whacking her in the body and then up to the head and just almost, I guess, wear her out and just come forward just like a bulldog really. Uh-huh. Just couldn't, If as soon as I gave her that space, I would be stuck and then for me to be able to get in. So we did a lot. Darren used to make me watch and I would watch this every single night. I would watch YouTube videos of Mike Tyson ducking under the rope Uh, and doing, you know, everyone's, yeah. So that's basically what it was, just making sure I was moving my head so, you know, I could get under and step closer and get her in the body. When you won and the referee said, I've got to hold your hand up as the winner, (laughs) did you just say, oh, sorry, can't do that hand. I've got cerebral palsy. (laughs) Just to rub it into the other chick. I should have. I should have. You've been like, pardon what? He's like, oh, I've got cerebral palsy. Yeah. (laughs) And I beat you. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on your Instagram. Can I share with people who might have CP, might want to, you know, become internet friends with you, might want to check out your story. Can I share your social media? It's at Eliza Rose underscore. Um, And while I was on there, I've got a couple of things, a couple of posts that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, first of all, it's your bio. You have the hashtag cerebral palsy. Mm. Take that. Can you tell us what the hashtag is about and what it means to you? Very intriguing. This goes back to when I was in London and I had never, obviously my close friends, things like that, they, everyone knew that I had cerebral palsy, but I had never ever spoken about it on a public forum. Like Mm. granted, I don't have thousands and thousands of followers, but even to put that on a Facebook post or an Instagram just was really difficult for me to just have it out there for anybody to look at. And the first trainer that I had in London, she had posted, we were doing um, personal training sessions in the park in London. Yeah. And she'd taken a photo of me doing a plank, didn't really think about it. She said, mate, can I post this? I'm like, yeah, no worries. And she put hashtag cerebral palsy. And the moment I just saw that, my heart just stopped. I was like, oh, everyone's going to know now. And I sat with it for a bit. I'm like, why do you care? The people that matter don't care mm-hmm. and you should be proud. Like this is something that you should want to show people that even when you do have a disadvantage, you know, you can still do a lot of the things that everyone else does. You, it might not look the same. It might not even look pretty, but you can still do it. And I think that is such a huge thing and something really important now for anybody is that we might see all these videos on Instagram and people doing these perfect workouts and that's great, but you might do them and you don't look like that and that's totally okay. And I think that we just all need to realise that 
what's important is that you're getting out there and you're doing it. And so all these little things that I've started doing now that I've become more okay with my cerebral palsy is that exact showing cerebral palsy that just because you have it doesn't mean you're just going to sit in a corner and want people to feel sorry for you or even feel sorry for yourself. Well said. It's called disability proud. You become disability proud and then everyone else around you becomes it as well. Um, Awesome. I love hearing that. That's awesome. Another post uh, you did was an Instagram quote. I'll read out the quote. It says, don't be the reason someone feels insecure. Be the reason someone feels seen, heard and supported by the whole universe. Now, how important, going back off that hashtag as well, is spreading your story about CP and and your ability to not be held back by it? I think with this, and I think this is important for what you guys are doing too, is that it's really not about cerebral palsy or about any other disability as such. It's about the fact that everybody, I don't care who you are, you're a supermodel, everybody has some kind of insecurity. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to use that to your advantage and own it. So I spent so long just wanting, like I used to tell people I was in a car accident or that I broke my leg because I thought it was better than saying I have cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. And when I am walking down the street and I see someone look at me and for a split second, I think, oh, well, they're looking at me because I have cerebral palsy. And yeah, they, they might be, but we're interested in other human beings. So I think it's human nature for us to look But I think it's important to make sure and to check yourself. Like even for me, you know, there's so much insecurities I have. But if someone else wants to share their story or if somebody else feels uncomfortable to just make them know that it's okay and that why would you want to be perfect anyway? Mm -hmm. What stories do you have to tell then? (laughs) Now we do a segment at Listen Able, which I'm sure you've heard before, called The Bowl of Uncomfortable, where we ask questions that people have sent in or yeah. questions that you might not normally um, get asked. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we've both got one. Mm-hmm. So I'll go first. So mine is this. Do you think it's fair that you didn't tell your boxing opponent that you had cerebral palsy, especially if you got critically injured in that fight? Yes, I think that it is fair because I don't think anything that could have happened in that fight, I don't think I could have got injured in any other way. That somebody that was able-bodied. Because you understand the guilt that they that person would yeah, feel. Yeah, the guilt that they would feel. Yeah. And that is true. That I, I do see your point there. But I still don't think my injuries would have been any worse off if I was able-bodied on well, what could have happened. Well said. And what is a bit of parting advice you'd give to, I guess, a young female like you who might be in a similar situation that probably isn't as comfortable in the person that they are. That, yeah, that you I mean, are. knowing it took you to 25 yeah. years to become comfortable. There might be a 25-year-old yeah. right now. Well, it's probably th- still 35, really. I yeah, mean, right. we all still got stuff to work on, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what would that advice be? I think you need to take a step back and think, if anybody genuinely cares about your disability or your insecurity or your weight or the way you look, anything like that, do you really want to waste energy trying to be that person that they want you to be? Wouldn't you rather just be around people that see you for who you are? So I think, you know, when we worry that someone might think this of us, well, if they do, great, they're not for you. And why would you want somebody like that in your life? Well, thank you very much. Eliza Green, real name, at Eliza Rose underscore. Jump on there, get on the hashtag cerebral palsy, take that. You're going again, you're boxing again, you're going to do another fight? I don't know. It's a lot. You have so to it- now, now that you're a bloody media superstar. <laughs> yeah, people want to follow the journey. Thousands. I think it's it's one of those things, like we just said, like it is literally a camp. 
Mm. Like it is all you think about. It is all you talk about. It is, you know, for the moment you wake up. But I think I think if anyone wants to do one, I think it is such an amazing thing and yeah. it teaches you so much about yourself. Well, good luck with that next fight. Thanks, Eliza. Thank you so Thanks, much, Eliza. guys. Lovely to chat. Uh, we're very excited that uh, more and more famous people, but also just everyday people who want to share their story to help Breakdown barriers are getting in touch, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, a lot of people think that we have only motivational speakers no. or famous people on we're the never, show. We never met Eliza before. She's an accountant. She's an accountant. She's a friend of a friend. Good, good you know? box. Not exactly even a friend. Right. Like we just, no, no, no. Someone got in touch. So yeah, a friend recommended it. Just shows absolutely anybody can be on this podcast. So um, if you think you're up for it, let us know. Can I also shout someone out else out? Um, we, we, of course, we just had Eliza on there, but we have another Eliza who's part of the Listenable family. Uh, the music that you hear in our podcast is by an artist, Australian artist called Eliza Hull. Yeah, and Eliza uh, has a disability herself. So she has a physical disability and is a beautiful singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. She's performed at Ability Fest as well. Every year I ask her and she's like, oh, I'm busy, I've got another gig. I'm like, Eliza, come play my festival. <laughs> um, but she um, put that piece of music together for us. Yeah, it's which, called Pause. You know what, someone, people come up to me and go, mate, I love the music. Yeah, and she's also, she uh, like hit me up had, to say that she's got a gig from it as well, from so, uh, making music from someone hearing it at the end of the also, podcast where we shout her out. Also, like, when people come up to us and say, hey, congrats on your awesome music, like Angus and I did anything. Yeah, we didn't we do did it. nothing. But we did support um, people within the community as well. Um, you might see the cartoon on our social media of me sitting in Dylan's wheelchair on his lap. That was um, by an Adelaide uh, company that hires people with disability called Blend Creative. So, um, you know, we like to make sure that people are getting jobs because that's a huge, important issue with you as well, Dylan. Exactly right. And very excited for next week's episode. There's an article in the Sydney Morning Herald, and I read this. Having a child with a disability is like having a living grief. Mm-hmm. Hard for me to read that. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm like, I do not want my mum to live in no. grief. Yeah. Also, like, get stuffed. Yeah. Because I'm not grief. No. Yeah. Can you explain to me? Well, it was me that said the quote that. And how you Mandy. felt and, yeah. and, and, and what happened there. Uh, well, when I went to have counselling when my girls were three, and the counsellor said that I had post traumatic stress disorder from their birth, uh, she said to me that having a child with a disability is like having a living grief. And so I. I understood that as such and I think as time has moved on and as I've listened to people in the disability community, I understand that that's painful and I'm sorry. I think a little bit for Mandy it was also not grief but she couldn't find a word for it. Yeah, there's no word. We would like someone to find another word. Yeah, like I have a child that has a disability, is not neurotypical, I'm worried about people abusing them. I'm worried about them getting a job. I'm sad seeing them in physical pain. Yeah, and, and my child ha- gets blisters from their AFOs. Yeah, bleeding from the AFOs. Yeah, and that's... Carrying her home. Is that not some sort of sadness? Ooh, it's going to be a rip snorter. Uh, we hope you can join us then. Like we said, follow us on all the socials. It's a Listenable podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, and please subscribe um, to this so you can get the fresh drops of content when they come through and share it around your networks. We'd love to reach as many people as we can. Until the next episode of Listenable. Listenable was presented by Dylan Alcott and Angus O'Loughlin and produced in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Audio production by Darcy Thompson and the music was written and performed by Eliza Hull. Listenable.